The storm in the gospel is probably worse than you're even imagining. So the Sea of Galilee that they were on was known for its storms because it has large hills on either side and so it creates like a wind funnel on the sea and so it was known for big storms and this one was a great windstorm. Not only that, but what was the occupation of most of the men in that boat with Jesus? Fishermen. They were used to storms on the Sea of Galilee, yet this one terrified them. And then it says that their boat was swamped, meaning they were sinking. The waves had gone over the side of the boat and the boat was filling up with water. They were being overrun. And all through this, by divine grace, somehow Jesus sleeps through it all. But we always turn to this, we often turn to this gospel passage to remember and think about the real reality that when there are storms in our life, sometimes it feels a lot like Jesus is asleep in the stern. So what do we do with that? Why would Jesus be asleep and only wake up when they finally scream at him to wake up because they're about to die. And then he almost gets upset with them that they still don't have enough faith. Is that really the case? They waited until they were almost full of water before they woke him up. So did they have little faith? What do we do with the apparent silence of God? It's not an easy thing to tackle. Tonight, one idea to maybe shift our perspective, which is exactly the idea. St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians today, says, we regard no one from a human point of view. Part of the challenge with the silence of God is our human point of view. In our first reading, we heard God's address to Job. So we know Job's story, right? Job's life was a disaster because everything Every evil possible was inflicted upon him for no good reason. And all of his friends tried to pick him apart to find what was the wrong thing that he did to deserve all of this evil. And there was nothing because Job was a just and righteous man. And so once they've stopped questioning him, then he goes, so what's the deal, God? I have scrutinized my life, and I can't see anything that deserves this evil. So what's the deal? Why would you let this, or why would you do this to me? And we hear God's response to Job when he does that, which is probably not the response that we would expect from God. He basically tells Job, remember who you are. You are not God. I am. That's his only answer. That is the only answer from God in all of Job's sufferings, is I'm the one who created everything. I'm the one who created the light and the darkness and the seas and the land. You didn't. That's the only answer. That's all he gives him. God's answer is remember who you are. Not a human point of view, but God's point of view. I'm gonna be really blunt. Far too often, we are quite arrogant with God. It is a rather arrogant thing for us to do, to go to God and think that we're owed an answer. 
to the evil that we experience in life. God is God. We are not. God has permission to do whatever he wants because he created all things. And he created all things and is leading all things to himself. He has made us many promises and give us, given us countless testimony through his son Jesus of his goodness and his mercy and his love. And yet, whenever there is evil, God, what's the deal? How dare you, God? What did I do to deserve this? God, I don't even know if you exist anymore because this evil has come into my life. There's a degree of arrogance that comes in that question of pride, that I'm on equal footing with God, and we're not. We're creatures. He's the Almighty. And part of it is remembering that. That's the sin of Adam and Eve, right? When Adam and Eve are in the garden, what leads them into temptation is the fact that when the serpent comes, he comes to Eve and says, look, God can't give you everything that you need. You better try and be a little bit more like him so that you can get what you need in this life. And so Eve takes, and so does Adam, forgetting who they are in God's presence. You can think of it this way in kind of growing up. A kid is throwing a tantrum in a grocery store because they're not getting a chocolate bar because it's one hour away from supper. And the parent goes, it's not happening. It's going to spoil your dinner, and it's a whole bunch of sugar, and then I'm going to have to deal with a cranky kid after the sugar. The kid doesn't see that. They just go, sugar, good, I want, now. But the perspective of the parents, the point of view of the parent goes, this is not good for you. I need to deprive you of this good because something better is coming. Or it's when we're teenagers and we've had our first experience of a breakup and it feels like the world is ending. I will never love anyone ever again. This was the most profound experience of love in my entire life and nothing will be as good as this. And the grown-ups look at that and go, that was so far from real. It lasted two months. You're going to be okay. But it doesn't feel like that in the moment. So most of us here are grown-ups. Should we be so arrogant to think that we understand how life works? As Christians, we say, we don't. We submit to God. And God is allowing us to grow into what he desires for us. Here's how St. Augustine describes it. It's kind of Pope Benedict XVI and St. Augustine mixed together. It says, man was created for greatness, for God himself. He was created to be filled by God but his heart is too small for the greatness to which it is destined. It must be stretched. By delaying his gift, God strengthens our desire. Through desire, he enlargens our soul. By expanding it, he increases its capacity for receiving him. Suppose that God wishes to fill you with honey, a symbol of his tenderness and goodness. But if you are filled with vinegar, where will you put the honey? 
The vessel, that is your heart, must first be enlarged and then cleansed, freed from the vinegar and its taste. This requires hard work and is painful. But in this way alone do we become suited for that for which we are destined. Our encounter with God awakens our conscience in such a way that it no longer aims at self-justification and is no longer a mere reflection of ourselves and of our contemporaries who shape our thinking, but it becomes a capacity for listening to God himself. Shifting our point of view, that we don't look at it from a human point of view, that the silence of God, the delay of God, can we trust that it's for our good? Can we have faith that though God's answer might not be immediate, that he's just as present, like Jesus asleep in the boat? Can we allow ourselves to be creatures before God, to be children before God, and acknowledge, I don't have it all figured out. And even though this is hard and painful right now, I have faith, I have trust, that what God is leading me and all those I love and all of humanity too, is his own goodness in the end. Sometimes Jesus is asleep in the boat, but he's in the boat.